Amen. My name is Neely. I'm one of the pastors here on the team at Overlake. I work with the middle school and high school students every week. Um, but I have to say that I love when I get the opportunity to come in here and hang out with grown-ups. Down the hall, we call it Big Church. So I'm really excited to be in Big Church today. Today, we're starting this new series called Shape finding your unique purpose in this life. Uh, And thanks to my parents, I have known the joy and the struggle of being unique from the moment I was born. See, they decided to name me Neely. And uh, when that happened, I joined a club, an official club that's going on. I I met someone actually this morning, he's probably a part of it. It's the Unique Name Club. Any, Any members of that club around here? Yeah, okay, so if, you, if you're if you part of this club, you know that what happens when you meet people for the first time and you tell them your name, there's a couple things they always wanna ask you. And I, I found that I did one this morning, so I'm gonna embarrass myself first. The first one is, I'll say my name is Neely, and they'll say, say it again? <laughs> Just to clarify, like, let me hear it again. And then the second one they say, is that your real name? To which I wanna say, like, Okay, if, I was gonna, if this is my fake name, I was going to pick a cooler name, it'd be like Beyonce or something, right? Okay, I would pick something better than Neely. And the third thing is there, I was like, is it short for anything? To which I want to say like, Nilabuff? Like, I don't know what Neely would be short for. Or actually, I did come up with one that it could be Cornelius. But I think that's maybe a little, even more unique if my parents called me Cornelius. But when I, when I was a small child, I did not love that I had a unique name. I did not love it at all. In fact... What made it worse, what made the whole issue worse was there was this show on when I was a kid and everybody loved this show. It was the, it was the big thing that we rushed home after school to watch. It was Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, best show ever, similar to Grey's Anatomy, but takes place on a prairie <laughs> and there's no sex. So it was very, very similar. <laughs> um, so, but there was a nemesis. There was a, a very mean girl on that show and her name was... Nellie Olson. And so whenever someone wanted to like really drive me insane, because my mom would put ringlets in my hair and everything. And so I was easy target for Nellie Olson. So in fact, in first grade, I um, told my teacher, I came up to my teacher, this is the kind of kid I was. So you should be thankful right now for the, your kids that you're parenting. Because I came up to my teacher in first grade and I said, listen, my parents and I had a meeting and we've decided that my name's not working out anymore. And so we're going to change my name. Um, So you don't have to call me Neely anymore. Feel free to call me Jennifer. Because there was four Jennifers in my class. So I just wanted to blend in. I said, just call me Jennifer. And she's like, well, maybe I should call your mom. And I was like, oh, she doesn't really like it when people interrupt her at work. So you probably shouldn't do that. And she's like, well, I'm just going to do it just in case. So she called my mom. Obviously, my name had not been changed. So, but I loved um, at that time trying to get rid of the name. And now I have love that I have a unique name. I love that it's a conversation starter. We get to have fun with it. I've embraced my uniqueness, you could say. But really, when you look around the world, there's a lot of uniqueness going around. I mean, it's everywhere you look. In fact, um, a couple of years ago, my husband and I, we celebrated 15 years of marriage, and so we decided to go to Mexico. And we wanted to go on this vacation. We didn't want to go to, like, a touristy spot in Mexico. Um, my husband is a surfer. Shaka, bro. And so he, like, we wanted to go to a surf place, so we went to this, like, really small fish town, like, nobody there, not touristy at all. I'm not even going to tell you the name because I'm afraid you will ruin it. So, no, just kidding. Um, so I'm not going to tell you where it is. If you want to know, you can find me afterwards. But we went to this little place, and it was, like, so lush and, like, like 
untouched Mexico. And we were there in November, and it was really crazy because there was all these butterflies. I mean, just everywhere you looked, there was butterflies, and it was amazing. Well, one day we're driving, and I've never really been like a butterfly person at all. That's not really my thing, but we're driving into this like really spot no one's at, and it's like forests everywhere, and something happens. Like all of a sudden, there are like hundreds of butterflies, hundreds, like every color. And I don't know what happened to me because I lost it. I was like, <laughs> they're so beautiful. <laughs> and my husband's like, ugh. <laughs> and God, he like so creative and look at all the butterflies. <laughs> and my husband's like, uh, are you all right? And I'm like, it's fine, I just And he's like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go surf. You, you know, figure out what you got going on. I'm like, okay, go surf. They're beautiful. Did you see that one? Don't hit it. You know, so I'm just having this total moment with butterflies that it's, I don't know why, it's just like the idea that they're so beautiful, they're so creative. In fact, the rest of our time in Mexico, we'd be like sitting by the pool and one butterfly would come by and I'd be like, okay, oh I can't do it. It's so beautiful. I'm like overwhelmed with it. And this is the crazy thing. I'm going to tell you something and you're going to think I'm making it up, but I just want you to know right now, this is a true story. I know sometimes people stand up here and they make stories up, but this one is true, okay? <laughs> this one is true. So we're at our summer camp for high school students. It's in Canada. And I tell this story about Mexico and I'm telling these students like, you are so amazing, God loves you so much. If he cared that much about butterflies, imagine how much he cared about you. And I'm like really like trying to tell him you're loved, you don't have to make dumb decisions, you're loved just as you are, you know, that kind of thing. And we send them off to small groups and then we have this leader meeting and we're all sitting on logs and, and having our leader meeting. And one of our leaders comes to me, he's like, don't freak out, you got something on your knee. And I look down, I kid you not, a butterfly has landed on my knee. And I'm like, oh what does it mean? It's a butterfly. And I cannot, I mean, everyone's like laughing. They think it's funny. I'm, I'm like having a moment right there, you know? So I've become a total cliche. I've totally become a cliche of the, the, you know, the girl that likes butterflies. That's me. Like, I listen to the radio lab about it. I, like, every time I see a picture, I'm like, oh, I should get that. I have a bag with a butterfly. I'm like, it's dumb. I'm embarrassed for myself right now, like, how much I love butterflies now. But the reality is they're so unique. I mean, it really is so amazing how, how it points to God as being so creative. I'm going to get a little overwhelmed. I mean, think about a butterfly, how unique it is and how their patterns and how they become butterf butterflies. I mean, that tells us so much about the creator. Or there's snowflakes, right? There's snowflakes. They say that there's no two snowflakes the same. Now they're saying there's seven, like, patterns, but even then they're all distinct. How creative is the God that we serve that he would put that much energy and effort into making unique snowflakes, unique butterflies. I mean, us in the Pacific Northwest, we have the privilege of looking around all of creation and seeing what a great God we serve, how creative he is. Maybe it's when you're snowboarding or skiing and you're up on the mountains and you just get this view and you're overwhelmed with how great our God is. Or it's out on the lake or you're out in the boat and you're just, you get this idea of how, how great our God is. There's this great quote about snowflakes that says this. They say that every snowflake is different. 
If that were true, how could the world go on? How could we ever get off our knees? How could we ever recover from the wonder of it all? Pastor Mike's book, Wonder, is based on that. Kid's book is based on that. But I love that quote because it, it's a reminder of the uniqueness that's in this world. It reminds us that we serve a creative God. That every part of creation is unique. Every part. And that includes you and I. We are unique. Psalms 139 says this. David says this. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, this is good news. It's good news about God and who God is and how he created us. But it's also good news about us. It's good news about us that you and I, we were fearfully made. We are unique. And I think actually this is the big, this is the big question all of us ask. Why? Why? Why were we made this way? Why are we unique? And Ephesians 2.10 has the answer. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I, we were created by God. We're his handiwork. We're his art. We're his creation. One translation says we're the very product of his hand, of God's hand, for good You and I, we were created for good things. So if we were created for good things, then who we are is a gift. Our uniqueness and the way we were created is a gift. I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. And so if you want to pull out your outline, you can follow along. The first fill in there is this. Your uniqueness is your gift to the church. We're going to spend some time in Romans 12 this morning. And before I read it, I want to just kind of unpack a little bit about Romans. The thing about Romans is it was a letter written by Paul. And he's writing it to the church in Rome. And he knew this. This is what Paul knew is that the church in Rome was going to set the stage for all of the world. Everyone was looking to Rome to see how things were doing. So when he wrote this letter to the church in Rome, it was important to him that they got how to do it. Because however they did church, the rest of us were going to follow their lead. So he, it's one of his longest letters, one of his most detailed letters. But he's really trying to get them to understand how important it is to set the stage for the world because everybody's watching. How should church be done? So we're going to start in verse 4. This is what Paul says. For Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, they're unique, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts. We have unique gifts. We have unique gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See what Paul is saying right here. He's saying if you are a follower of Christ, you belong to the body. And you have a specific function to the body. Paul says that each of us, every one of us belongs. Our different gifts, our uniqueness, our different functions, they belong to each other. I looked up unique in a thesaurus and it said this. It said irreplaceable. 
Some of you need to hear this this morning. You are irreplaceable to the church. Now we can get along, we can function, we can, we can kind of stumble our way along, but if you're not serving, if you're not connected, then, we, then you need to know we're struggling because you are irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. And Paul says if it's teaching, then you need to teach. If it's serving, you, you need to serve. But whatever it is, that you bring to the body, you need to bring it because your unique function makes us come together. You are a gift to us. And without you, we will struggle. We will struggle. There's a woman who is a heart surgeon and she said that she wrote a book about all the things that she learned about uh, people and the body based on her surgeries. And this is what she said. And I think this is an interesting quote about the church. I think that is the very definition of a family, a group of individuals bound by the essence of love who share a life together and yet maintain their unique individuality. See, we are a family and our uniqueness isn't alone for our individuality. That's what culture would tell us. Like, oh, look how unique you are for your own individuality. But no, what Paul is saying, what we understand is that our uniqueness is a gift for our shared life together as a family. Your gift, your uniqueness is a gift to the church. And what happens when we embrace that is the next point. The church's uniqueness is a gift to the world. See, unique equals diversity. And the world is struggling right now to understand how to come together with our differences. Look in the news. You see it everywhere. We talked about it last Sunday, about the hurdles we have to come over with diversity What we need to know is that violence exists because we hate what is different. Man, I just read a story in the news about a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old who came at each other because of their racial and socioeconomic status. The differences, they came at each other so much so that the police had to get involved. See, the world does not know what to do with diversity, with differences. And we learn at a young age to gravitate to the people that are like us. In fact, I see this at the school when I pick up my kids. When they're really young, they play with everybody. Everybody's included, everybody. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you're dressed like, everybody is together. But the older they get, the more they start to separate and end up with people just like them. And then I look at the parents, and we're all segregated with people just like us. But Paul is saying, that's not how the church should be. That's not how the church should be. Imagine if Paul said, the body is made up of people all exactly the same. We're just one big hand. In fact, we couldn't even be a big hand, we'd just be one finger, like one part. No, he's saying what makes the body is that we're all so unique and we come together and we learn to function. When we live out Romans 12, what we're doing is we're celebrating our uniquenesses in ourselves and in others. And then what we're showing the world is that it's possible to love people who are different. The church should be unique. We shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't match the way they do. The world is at war, but the church should be a place of peace. Jesus didn't say this. Jesus didn't say, they'll know you because you're all exactly the same. Jesus didn't say, they'll know you all because you vote exactly the same. Can I say that? Um, Jesus didn't say, they'll know you all because you look the same. 
He said, they'll know you all because despite the differences and where you come from, you love each other. And the world is struggling with that and they're looking at the church and they're saying, do you look like us? Or do you love each other? See, when we embrace our own uniqueness, it gives us a freedom to embrace the uniqueness of others. And then we come together and we show the world what it looks like to celebrate that, to celebrate our uniqueness, to celebrate it in ourselves and in others. This means that we've got to embrace it. We've got to accept our uniqueness. We've got to embrace it. But the trouble is, right, that the world has been telling us also since we were kids that we should look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, think a certain way. In a world that claims it celebrates diversity, it sure tells us a lot what, it mean, what we need to look like in order to fit in. They sure do a good job spending a lot of money on what it means to live one standard, measure up in one way, to conform. Ladies, you know right away what I'm talking about. Because since we were young, we were told what we should look like. We were told that in order to be significant, in order to matter, in order for people to even see us or validate our presence, we need to to look a certain way. And every TV show, every music video, every movie, every magazine we opened up reinforced that message. That in order to be significant, you need to look like this. But I know that that also happens for you guys. I know that there are messages everywhere telling you what you should be. And I know that a lot of it is tied that you are not truly significant unless you're winning or you're successful. And I know that, you, that there are so many things that play into that and how you try to validate yourself and climb this ladder in order to be noticed and be significant. Everywhere we go, we hear these messages about who we should be and how we have to match these standards how we have to conform. It impacts the jobs we choose, the neighborhoods we live in, and the way we use our time and money. Brene Brown, she's one of my favorite authors, she says this, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. There's so many of us hustling for our worthiness, hustling to conform, to fit in, and we don't live inside our own story. I remember in junior high, I was in, uh, I think, seventh grade, and everybody in junior high had an Esprit bag. And it was a stupid canvas bag, yeah, like with black print that said Esprit. I'm 90% certain, th- certain it was like 30 bucks for this thing, which now, if my kids asked me, I'd sew it and like Sharpie it for them, you know, like, it's good enough, guys, you know. But I like begged my dad, I'm like, Dad, you don't understand. Everyone has this bag, please. I just want this bag so bad. And he's like, you know, why do you want it? I'm like, everyone has it, and I just wanna, I just wanna be, I wanna fit in. And so we went to the mall, and my dad bought it for me, probably because I cried. I have a way with doing that. And uh, he said to me, he's like, I'm gonna buy you this bag, Neely, but if your friends jump off a bridge, are you gonna jump off a bridge too? Like how many parents say that to every kid, right? But he's, I'm like, I, now's not the time for the lesson, dad, just buy me the bag, right? But the reality is like, at, that's when it started and it has not stopped. My pursuit to fit in, to conform, it has not stopped. I catch myself even doing it now as an adult. I mean, hello, Pinterest, anyone, right? That is a magnet for us trying to just fit in, to measure to a standard, to conform. And the list could go on and on and how we try to do it. 
and in an effort to be like everyone or be liked by everyone, a lot of us have found ourselves hurt and disappointed. A lot of us have found ourselves in pain when we realized we, we could never measure up to the expectations. In the process of the struggle to fit in, we found ourselves wounded, hurt. And interestingly enough, we found that we have forgotten who we really are. We've forgotten who God created us to be. Some of us have pretended so, for so long to be something else that we don't even know anymore who we are. See, there's this thing that says the lies we believe determine the way we live. And you and I, some of us in this room, we believe lies about who we are or who we have to be, and they have driven our lives to be something that they shouldn't be. We have conformed. I want to go back to Romans 12. What's interesting, before Paul talks about these unique gifts and how we need to function together, he also says something else, verses 1 and 2, before he gets into that. And I, I've never thought how they tied together before until I was preparing this message, how they, can't, how they come together. Because look what he says in Romans 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So it's interesting that before Paul would tell us that we each are needed, our unique gifts are needed, he would first have to tell us, don't conform to the world. Don't try to match their standards. We worship not by conforming, not by blending in, but by being who we are. Our whole body is an act of worship. Being us, our mind, our spirit, all of it is an act of worship. When we embrace our uniqueness. So we started with that verse, Ephesians 2.10, that says you're created, you're a masterpiece for something good. So if we're unique, but we've lost our way because we've believed things about ourselves, how do we get back to remembering who we are? How do we get back there? Well, I want to walk through a couple points, three points, about how I think we can find our way back there. And these are based off the shape test. And this is a really great resource we use here at Overlake. It kind of helps you unpack a little bit about how you were shaped, how you were made and created. And what it does, it walks you through that, those letters. Each one stands for something. And it helps you discover your ministry for the church and your mission to the world. And so we're going to unpack it a little bit different this morning, but that's what we're going to do. So let's look how we're unique, and let's try to find our way back to us. The first one is this. You were created uniquely. <clears throat> From the beginning of your life, you have been unique. God said that, uh, Psalm said that he fearfully and wonderfully, he formed you from the very beginning, you have been unique. And there's three questions you can kind of ask yourself to help unpack that uniqueness. The first one is, what's my personality like? What's my personality? Do I like to be the center of the tension? Do I like more one-on-one -on -one conversations? Am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? Do I like to be spontaneous? Or do I like to have everything written out, detailed, oriented? What kind of personality do I have? And be, be careful here because there's a trap. Our culture wants us to think one personality is better than the other. 
And that's another lie. And so we see these ones, these certain personalities glorified and we all want to be like them. We all want to be something else. And so try to ignore those messages and just remember, who am I? What's my personality like? I think about some amazing people who are in room three right now. They're there every Sunday and they pray with people every Sunday who have needs. Ruth and Carrie, Brian, Rick, and sweet Bernice who's 84. Every week they're in room three waiting to pray. And now these people, they probably, the thought of standing up here praying out loud in front of you probably scares them. It probably is more than they can handle because they're not made that way. That's not their personality but they'll sit in there with you. Sometimes I'm leaving the church late and I see they're still in there praying with people. They love that one-on-one conversation. They just want to pray over you. Who they are, the people that God has made them to be, their personality shapes their ministry to the church. So what's my personality like? The second one you might ask is, what am I good at? What, What am I good at? I mean, you can get better at it, but when you first started, you're naturally just good at it. You have some skill, whether it's working with your hands or thinking through things differently. What am I good at? Makes me think of Mike, a retired carpenter here at OCC, who for years had tons of training and skill development in building houses. And now, as a retired carpenter, he helps lead teams here to do construction in Chile. I mean... That's what he's good at. His, what he's good at is a ministry to the church. I think sometimes, and this, this is a little bit of a side note here, but sometimes we get so like, I did this. When I was like a kid, I, I thought in order to really serve Jesus, I needed to be on the worship team. For some reason, that was like the place for me. So I took voice lessons. And if you stand next to me ever in church, you know that voice lessons isn't gonna do it for me, right? Like I cannot sing, but for some reason I wanted to be good at that because that's what looked like everybody was, that's where it looked like I should be. But what we're good at, actually God can use. Whatever our skills are, God can use. So what am I good at? The third question you can ask there is what do I love? See, God has wired your heart to be a certain way, to love certain things. I think about some people, you sit with them and you, start to, you ask them one question about something that they're very passionate about and they can't stop talking but you see them come alive. It reminds me of my friend Dominique, a single mom here, who when you start talking to her about her, her passion and her love for victimized women, you see her come alive, her heartbeat, because it's what she loves. Isn't it so great that we serve a God who would put us in a place to do ministry and mission with something we love? He wouldn't take us and say, I'm going to force you to do this. But I, Oh, you love it? Let's, let's use it for the kingdom. What am I good at? What do I love? The third thing, the second thing, you are gifted uniquely. You are gifted uniquely. Do you know your spiritual gifts? When we accept God's love into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And this is a total mystery to me. I don't fully understand it, but it's a mystery that is written about in the New Testament tons, so I know it to be true, that God's presence comes to live in us. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. And when he comes, he brings gifts. So if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to know this. Congratulations, you're gifted. You're gifted. You're gifted for ministry. You're gifted for mission. 
If you want to check these spiritual gifts out, they're in a couple places in the New Testament. You can write them down. They're in Romans 12. They're in 1 Corinthians 12. They're in Ephesians 4. There's all these gifts listed, and you might read them, and you might be like, yes, I was never good at this before, and then, and then I invited Jesus into my heart, and now I'm gifted. I'm, I'm, the spirit living within me has gifted me this, with this. There's these spiritual gift tests you can take, and I took one when I was in high school, and it's kind of awesome. They're, I mean, they're man-made tests, so I feel like I should warn you with that. They're man-made tests, so they're not always accurate, but it's a good, helps you start to think about it. Well, when I was in 16, I took one for the first time, and there's all these questions on there. I'm giving you guys some cheating notes right now for when you take it on your own, but there's all these questions about Paul and his teaching on marriage, and you're supposed to say, like, strongly agree, agree, strongly disagree. So I'm taking it, and I'm 16, and I'm like, well, Paul said it, it's in the Bible, so I strongly agree, you know, on all these ones about Paul's teaching on marriage. I didn't realize how much Paul taught about celibacy. So when I ended my spiritual gift test and I tallied up my numbers, lo and behold, number one spiritual gift, you guys, celibacy. Uh, When I was 16, I was like, what's celibacy? And then after I had my first kid, I was like, I should probably take a different spiritual gift test. You know, like, maybe doesn't apply anymore. But they're, they're these tests just to help you understand that you are gifted. The Holy Spirit is living within you, and he has gifted you for mission and ministry. And your gifts make you unique. They make you unique. The third thing that makes you unique is this. You've experienced life uniquely. Moments in our life, they shape us. They shape who we are, whether they're good moments or bad moments. They shape who we are. I know that in my story, my story of growing up and experiencing what I experienced in church and at home has shaped who I have become now. They shape our story, the way we interact with people is impacted by what we've experienced. The way we see things, the way we want to resolve things is impacted by our story. I think of Ange, uh, a friend of mine here, who last Sunday, she told her story to our students at our winter retreat in Leavenworth. And as she was telling our story, I was listening to it, and she was talking about how she grew up in a home that was dysfunctional, and it led her to make some poor choices, and she became like an at-risk youth. And I was listening to it, and I thought, she didn't even talk about this in her story, but it was so interesting how God had used her story, because now Ange moved from California, left all that was comfortable and familiar to come up here to work with at-risk youth. Because our story shapes who we are. It makes us unique. No one else has your story. So that means no one else can do what you can do. Your story makes you unique. You've experienced life. And so you need to look at your life and you, you need to think about what moments have made me who I am. What moments, good or bad, have shaped how I see things? What moments, good or bad, could be a gift to the church? Because you have experienced life uniquely. I would love for every one of us to embrace this reality that we were created uniquely, that we were uh, experienced life uniquely, and that we were gifted uniquely. Because why? Well, let's look at Ephesians 2.10 again. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we are a masterpiece for good. 
not for our own sake, not just to be an individual and be different, but because God is saying, I have created you so uniquely and it is for a purpose. It is for good. It is for a ministry to the church and for mission to the world. You'll notice on your outline there are those two questions at the bottom. I would love for you over this next week to just start thinking about what is my ministry in the church and what is my mission in the world? What could it be that I am wired, I am created uniquely for? See, those questions, they can only be answered when you and I realize and celebrate our uniqueness. We can't move forward without embracing who we are because the church needs you to be you. The church needs you to be you. The world needs you to be you. And the church, we need to embrace each other so that the world can see us, being so completely different than them. Imagine a world looking in on the church filled with people who are so unique. We come from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different socioeconomic statuses, all different stories. We come together as a family that love each other. And we don't stop there with loving each other. We see our mission in the world. It begins with each one of us, though, walking away from these lies about the wor- that the world is telling us and walking in the truth of our own uniqueness. I want to pray this morning that you would have the courage to walk away from those lies and walk in the truth of who God created you to be. So let me pray for you. Jesus, you are so good. We are blown away by your grace and your love for us. And God, I am overwhelmed at your creation and how amazing it is. And then I'm blown away by that truth that you, you created us uniquely, God. I think about all the people in here, the men and women who right now are believing a lie that they have to be something else in order to be loved and significant. God, I pray right now that they would find freedom in that you love them just as they are just as they are. In fact, you love them, but you made them that way, God. May we embrace our uniqueness. May we see it as a gift to each other, God. And may we love each other. May we not try to change anybody, but love people in their uniqueness, God. May we come together as a church of unique people, different people who love each other and partner to to a mission in the world. And when the world looks at us, they say, yeah, They must be different. They must know Jesus because they love each other. May we be that. In Jesus' name, amen.